Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Tuesday, January the 10th, 2023. It is currently 1025 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, earlier this evening, I went live on the air, and we we started kind of a preview of the Bible study exercise that we will be engaged in for about the next seven weeks. For the next seven weeks, we're going to be basically working on the topic, studying the topic, exploring the topic of discernment. And we, I've already kind of introduced the series. This is kind of a preview, right? In a way, before we really, before we really actually start the study, I'm kind of priming the pump. I'm trying to get us already thinking about some very important concepts dealing with discernment. And remember, this study is going to be somewhat interesting, right? Because we're, we're using a curriculum that clearly I'm going to disagree with a lot in regards to the subject of discernment. So the curriculum may be trying to take us south, but I'm going to use that curriculum that's trying to take us south to have us head north. The curriculum is going to be like, let's go south. And I'm going to like, no, 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 let's use the curriculum. But then we're going to go a completely different direction with it. But I want everyone using the curriculum, looking at it. Now, as of right now, you don't have any homework. I'm not giving you any assignments. You have nothing you have to do right now. Just listen to, I don't know how many episodes we're going to do really before we actually begin the study. I mean, in in a roundabout way, we're already doing so. But to start the study properly, we will probably wait till Saturday evening or Sunday afternoon. That's probably where we'll we'll kick off the study in an official capacity. This is kind of a preview, priming the pump, getting us ready. And wow, did we start off with a bang this afternoon. We looked at the introduction to the curriculum and there were so many, so many issues, lots of problems, I won't review everything. Go back and listen to Bible Study Exercise Discernment Part 2, and you can hear us work through the introduction of the curriculum. Then we transitioned from that introduction and said, okay, to get us ready for this study of the curriculum and to study the topic of discernment, I saw a notification on one of my podcast apps that Charles Swindoll on his program Insight for Living, that they were doing two episodes called A Cup of Discernment. And I'm like, you know what? That will be great. That will be great. Let's listen to what they have to say in regards to discernment, just to kind of get us thinking, getting us ready, getting us headed in the right direction. And I thought it would be fun, and I thought it would be interesting. I thought it would be maybe entertaining, all of those wonderful, positive things. But wow, did everything kind of take a turn that I wasn't prepared for. We reviewed, we, our broadcast was over an hour long and we reviewed two minutes and 35 seconds of audio. And most of that was intro music. Okay. It was, it was insane because we found ourselves facing a concept that I would have never guessed. I would have never planned. And I know what you're thinking. Wait a minute. How did, how were you not, how were you not prepared for this? How did you know, how did you not know this is where things were going to go? Because remember, whenever we review audio, I don't review it first, right? I review it with you because I always try to create this atmosphere, this feeling that you, you, you're just sitting down with me here in the studio in my house. And we're like, Hey, what do you want to listen to? Hey, I, I got this sermon. I got this Christian podcast. Well, hit play. Let's listen and talk. I mean, like, I love doing that. You know, hey, get together. Let's grab something to drink. What do we, okay, what do you got? Let's pull up the Sermons 2.0 app. Hit play. And let's just start analyzing the sermon, right? I love doing that. So I, I like doing it in real time, live on the air. So that means I never know what's going to happen. But wow, did the the episode here about a cup of discernment from Chuck Swindoll and there, it was the voiceover. I mean, Chuck Swindoll, we never even got to his actual sermon. Just the voiceover, just the introduction led us right into a major, major issue. 
that's going to become an ongoing hypothesis for this series. And I know many of you will disagree with my hypothesis, but here is my hypothesis. I tried to figure out how to word it, right? So this is the working the working hypothesis, the working thesis that I have for what's about to take place over the next seven weeks. I guess this may turn into eight weeks the way it's going, but I'm going to, I'm going to be repeating this a lot. And I may, I may have someone else try to help me clean it up, or I may throw it out there for a lot of people. And, and when I give this to you, please, if you want to write this down, and if you say, well, I think you should word it this way, or I think you should word it this way, please let me know. Please let me know. Because remember, the Bible study exercise, I don't like to be the teacher as much as I'm just trying to guide you into the exercise. And then I see that we're fellow students working together to discover truth. And what we're going to try to do over the next seven to eight weeks is make sure we have a biblical understanding of discernment, but at the same time acknowledge, and this is a big thing for me, the major problem when it comes to discernment in the world of Christianity, and I don't care if we use the right words, even if we use the right definitions, there is a major problem with discernment in Christianity, and no one ever seems to want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. So here is my hypothesis, my thesis. Discernment in practice. Please, please, please hear what I'm saying discernment in practice. I'm not saying the concept of discernment. I'm not saying the ideology of discernment. I'm not saying the theology of discernment. I'm saying once we take the the concept, the idea, the theology, the biblical concept of discernment, once we take it from the pages of scripture and it enters into our lives and we put it into practice, something goes wrong. There is an inherent flaw in it. Here's what happens. Here's my thesis. Discernment in practice is the subjective. I know people are already going to get mad at me. Discernment in practice is the subjective practice of us judging things on the basis of our own authority and fallible interpretation. I can already hear people going, what? No, I reject it. I know you're going to reject it because you're going to give me no discernment is where we judge things on the authority of God's word. It sounds so good. It preaches so good. Everyone in church will say amen. But I'm telling you, that is the concept. That is not the practice. The practice is, or let me read it again. Discernment is the practice. Discernment in, discernment in practice. Okay, in practice, in other words, not the theory, not the concept, but in practice is the subjective practice of us judging things on the basis of our own authority and fallible interpretation. Now, the reason I say that is because Christians always try to say, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, discernment is where I try to judge things on the basis of God's word, on the authority of God's word. That's what discernment is. So we, we, we grab our Bibles and say, I am discerning this, and that is wrong. That sermon is wrong. That doctrine is wrong. That Christian podcast is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And we start saying all these things are wrong on the basis of Scripture, but what we don't realize is, no, no, no. You're judging things on the basis of your own interpretation of Scripture. You are, you are, you are basically, this is how within the non-Catholic world, this is really the, the evangelical Protestant mindset. I have the authority, I have the ability, and I have the responsibility to discern things. So I take the Bible and I'm like, that's right, that's wrong, that's right, that's wrong. And we think we're doing so on the basis of God's word, but guess what? The people you're discerning, the people you're saying is wrong, they are basing their belief and teaching on the Bible as well. So you've got their, they, so their discern, their discernment says you're wrong. Your discernment says they're wrong. So obviously both can't be right. So something has gone horribly wrong because in reality, we're, we have come up with our own conclusions. We read it into the Bible. So we're really judging 
on our own authority. And then even when we're judging supposedly on the basis of the Bible, it's our own fallible interpretation. There is an inherent problem and nobody wants to admit it. I, 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 love, what, I love watching it happen. Like if you're on social media, just watch, watch what happens. Let someone post a, a sermon clip. It doesn't matter who. It can be, you just name the famous preacher. Someone will post a sermon clip, right? Maybe it's two minutes long, three minutes long, four minutes long. And then everyone hops on there. Boom, he's so right. Or boom, he's so wrong. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He's a heretic. He, he, he's, he's this, he's that. And they start judging. And what are they judging on? They're judging thinking, I'm right, they're wrong. On the basis of what? They would say God's word, but it's their interpretation of God's word. It's their presupposition. It's their assumption that their way is right. Well, that preacher would say, no, 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 I'm right. And in many cases, the people making the judgment, look, I mean, and I, I hate to say this, but we have to be honest. They, you, in many cases, very little study, nothing to really show for it. No, no, they, they, in many cases, have no formal theological education, but they just think, I can open my Bible and I get to determine who's right and who's wrong. And there's inherent problems with this. Now, I didn't know Chuck Swindoll was going to lead us into this, but he led us into this in the first two minutes. So what we're going to do is I, I, I'm going to just go back and play everything that we've already listened to, and then we'll flow right into his first lesson. Tonight, I don't, I, I'm not going to go super long because it's late, but I'm going to try to get us at least, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe 30 minutes. Maybe we'll do it like a 30-minute broadcast, 35-minute broadcast. We're not going to go super long, just to kind of get us there, and hopefully— Hopefully this will, uh, and then we can finish up at least, because uh, he did two parts on discernment. We'll see if we need to review both. But I just think this could be very helpful. I, I, I had no idea that this was going to kind of lead to this kind of thesis, this hypothesis. But you'll hear immediately why I, 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 I did this and, we're, and, and because of what was said in the beginning of this. So are you ready? Let's go back to this. I keep, if, you, if you hear me keep turning away from the microphone, it's because I, I started panicking. So if you're trying to discern what's going on here, because you probably keep hearing this, like I'm kind of away from the microphone because I started looking around going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I left my Bible downstairs, but hang on. It's right here next to me on the floor. There it is. Okay, I was like, I got it. I knew I had the Bible. I knew I had the Bible right next to me, but this one is the Christian Standard Bible, and I typically use the King James, so I like to have them both. And I was like, where is my King James? Where, where is it? Okay, well, I've got it right here next to me. So now we're good to go, right? So if you're trying to discern, why does he sound like he keeps turning away from the microphone? What is wrong with him? Now you understand. See, you just needed a little bit of understanding, right? But here we go. Here's Chuck Swindoll. A cup of discernment, part one. And let's see how far we can get tonight. Because this afternoon or this early, early evening, uh, late afternoon, we didn't, we didn't get very far, but we talked about a lot. So you definitely want to go back and listen to our part two on discernment. Part one on discernment is me introducing the study. Part two, and, and now part three, these, these are just kind of previews to really get us there. But I hope you find it to be beneficial. Here we go. As followers of Christ, we need to be vigilant in testing what we hear from any Bible teacher. To accept instruction from a voice of authority without validation from the scriptures can be a recipe for disaster. And that's the thing. See, they're setting up their, their thesis is, hey, if you're a Christian, hey, you have they're basically they're saying you have the right, you have the responsibility to you have to judge what you hear taught. And you've got to check it with God's word. And then you make a determination whether it's right and wrong. And if you don't do that, it's disastrous. It's damaging. It's, it's dangerous for you. Well, that sounds so good in theory, but in practice, now you just have some person, maybe they've never even, you don't even know how much knowledge they have of scripture. They open it up and like, that preacher's wrong. That preacher's wrong. That preacher's wrong because this is what the scriptures say. And, and, and it sounds like they're judging it based off scripture, but that preacher is basing his sermon off scripture. So he would say, no, I'm looking at scripture. And the other person would say, no, I'm looking at scripture. So it becomes subjective and everyone thinks they're right really on the basis of their own authority because you say, no, it's God's word. It's their interpretation of God's word. 
And if you think about it, we don't even, uh, we also never even consider the implications it has. So does a pastor really have any authority? You say, well, he has authority as long as he teaches the scriptures. No, he has authority as long as you think he's teaching the scriptures. The minute you don't think he is, he doesn't have any authority. And you either go, you cause a church split or you go start another church or you just go join another church because you think you're right. (laughs) It's so subjective and crazy. And we've seen that for 2000 years. I mean, well, I I think it's, I think we clearly have seen all of the fights that's happened in 2000 years, but from the Protestant Reformation forward, one of the unintended consequences of the Protestant Reformation, and nobody likes to acknowledge this, we gave up the the authority of the church and the authority of the uh, Pope for the authority of the individual, and everyone became a Pope. You say, so you're saying we should never make a discernment? No, I'm saying we're going to have to figure out exactly how can we, what can we do? to try to get back to the scriptures actually being the authority, because in practice, we're the authority. All right, now, that's the statement that sparked this entire hypothesis and what we're going to be talking. And it, I, I didn't intend that this is what we're going to be focusing on on seven we- for the next seven to eight weeks, but in a, re- a roundabout way, that's going to become a major issue. But we've already talked about that in uh, the last episode. Now let's just proceed. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll presents message number two in his teaching series called Growing Deep in the Christian Life. In this study, we'll be reminded that the perfect ingredients for a wholesome biblical meal always includes sound scriptural doctrine. And that requires a personal working knowledge of God's Word and a measure of sensitivity. Our lives can become two-dimensional if we're not careful, devoid of depth and color and excitement, and that makes us unhealthy and imbalanced rather than vital and whole. This often happens if we acquire knowledge without also gaining the depth of discernment. The Bible gives us an inspired recipe for a balanced, healthy approach to life that requires a cup of discernment mixed in well with biblical knowledge. There are many negative and positive examples in the scriptures, and we'll be looking at several. But the church members in Berea had the right attitude. They were a positive example of mixing discernment with biblical knowledge. Let me read a couple of verses for you from Acts 17 out of the Amplified Bible. Acts 17, verses 11 and 12. Now, these Jews in Berea were better disposed and more noble than those in Thessalonica, for they were entirely ready and accepted and welcomed the message concerning the attainment through Christ of eternal salvation in the kingdom of God with inclination of mind and eagerness, searching and examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, became believers, together with not a few prominent Greeks, women as well as men. Now, this, this is going to give us, uh, at least, I don't, want, I don't want to necessarily give you any homework or any assignment as of right now, but I think we're going to come to a major issue right here. So let's, let's read it. I'm going to read it from the King James. Acts chapter 17, verse 11, all right? I, oh, I wanted to get much further tonight. We, we, may not, we may not make it very, uh, we may not make it further than this, but this is, I think, a, a very, because this verse, these verses are cited so often when you talk about discernment. And so what people do is they read it like, that's it. My job is listen to the preaching and say, nope, wrong, 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 right, right, wrong. You get my seal of approval. And if you don't, then you're the heretic and I'm right because I know. And I know people People say, well, no, that's not what we're saying. But that's what happens in practice over and over and over again. So let's look at this. Acts chapter 17. Let's try to figure out maybe if we can figure out exactly what's happening here. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things 
were so. Therefore, many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks and of men, not a few. Now, when it says it searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so, what do you think they were doing? Now, is, is this a very subjective, like, oh, Paul preached it this way, but we interpret it this way. Was it a subjective battle over interpretation, or was it Paul said this is in the Old Testament, and we're ch- searching to see if that is actually in the Old Testament, because that's the scriptures they would have been searching, right? Let's, let's look up some, all the English translations, and let's also look up some commentaries just to see what's the typical approach with what was actually happening there. Because I think we, I think everyone has their vision of what was going on. And I don't know if it's actually what has, it's, I don't know if what everyone visions it to be is what actually occurred, right? I'm not, I'm not making, I'm not being dogmatic. Remember Bible study exercise. I throw out ideas to get you involved in the, in the, in the process. But let's look at this. All right. All right. Let's see if, uh, Let's see if uh, how the other translations handle it to give us any clue. The New International. Now, the Berean Jews were a more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Now, again, are they looking like, well, Paul said, Moses said this, or that Abraham said this, or that David said this, or, or all the different times that Paul makes a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. Were they checking to see if that was actual, actually the case, or was it a matter Paul interprets Isaiah or, or Genesis this way, and we're going to determine if his interpretation is correct. See, that's far more the way we've envisioned it. That's the way I've envisioned it most of my Christian life. That, oh, no, no, you're inter- you interpret Romans that way? You're wrong. This is the way to interpret Romans. That, that, that's, uh, come on, that's our own fallible, that's very subjective. A New Living Translation, and the people of Berea were more open, open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. Now, again, what, what is it? How do, you, how do you envision that? That they're like, well, wait, you interpret what, uh, what I'm, just, I'm just thinking of what Paul, I, I know this is uh, before Romans was written, but I'm just thinking anytime Paul, we'd have to look at the, uh, the preaching of Paul leading up to this point, but anytime he makes a reference, let me think, state, state it this way. Anytime he made a reference to the Old Testament, is this come down to, well, our interpretation is different than your interpretation, or does it simply come down that they were checking to see if what Paul was saying was in the Old Testament was actually there? How do you, how do you understand that? Because that really impacts how you may perceive this entire process of discernment. Uh, and most of the others kind of go with uh, whether these things are so, whether these things were so, whether these things were so. Almost all the translations go that way to see if these things were so. Now, let's look at how commentaries have handled this, all right? Um, okay, um, let's see here. It says, well, with a quick and clear intelligence, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether they really did speak of a Christ who would suffer and rise again. So they, they take the approach that what the, what the Bereans were doing was like, wait, wait, you're saying that Jesus was supposed to suffer and Jesus was supposed to die, that the Christ, let me use that terminology, that the Messiah was supposed to suffer and die. Let us look to see if those things are so. In other words, it's not a subjective thing, really. It's more like, factually, does the Old Testament say this? That, that to me, it's not this... Your interpretation, my interpretation, I, I, I think it's something more concrete. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, okay, uh, they, this one doesn't offer uh, much help here in exactly what was taking place. Um, let's see here, the uh, Benson commentary. Um, 
Let me see. Uh, now, namely, the things which Paul preached concerning the sufferings and resurrection of the Messiah. So, uh, so it sounds like that what most, two, two of the commentaries so far seem to say that what they were searching for is Paul basically said the Christ was supposed to suffer. And so they go back saying, were there passages saying that he was supposed to suffer? Because probably they were very aware of passages that seem to imply the Christ ruling, reigning, and defeating all of their enemies. So they needed to see, they needed to see passages more about suffering. That, that to me would be something much more concrete and objective, not subjective. Let's see what other commentaries. Let's look on for another com- uh, commentary. Uh, search the scriptures. The word is not the same as in the well-known passage, John 5, 39. The present verb has made, uh, has more the sense of examining and sifting evidence. It was used in law of the steps taken by lawyers to see whether an action would, uh, an action would lie. So it sounds like that the word here was more like, hey, they're just going to look for evidence. Oh, you say the Old Testament says Christ will suffer? We're going to go find that evidence. So something much more concrete. I still think it's something much more concrete. You may disagree, but that's okay. That's why we do this. All right. Um, let's see here. That. Um, okay. Uh, let's see here. They searched the scriptures. That is the Old Testament. See notes on John 539. The apostles always affirmed that the doctrines which they maintained respecting the Messiah were in accordance with the Jewish scriptures. The Bereans made diligent and earnest inquiry in respect to this and were willing to ascertain the truth. In other words, what they were doing is the apostles, Paul and them were claiming that what we're teaching comes from the Old Testament. They said, we're going to go check to see. That I, I don't think it turns into the way we've it, it would, let me let me give you an, a, a modern example to see if if this would work. I'm preaching a sermon, and I'm like, according to Genesis chapter two, if you listen to rock and roll, you're going to hell. Now, someone would write down Genesis two and their notes because they shouldn't do this in the middle of a sermon. Genesis two, rock and roll, hell? Question mark. After the sermon, you go read Genesis 2 and you're like, uh, it doesn't say anything about rock and roll or hell. So that's not, now see, that is a objective. That's not subjective. And I think we've turned it into, oh, wait, 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 wait. You interpret Romans, you know, you just named the passage. You you interpret Romans eight as say or you know or or whatever passage you're, you're looking at and teaching say the doctrine of election. I te- I read Romans chapter eight and I believe it teaches free will. I'm just I'm just throwing out hypotheticals. I'm not trying to give specific passages for specific doctrines, but you get the idea. Now that now we're down to our fallible and subjective interpretations. It's one thing to say Genesis one one says. At the end of time, all Jews will die. Right now, I'm making an uh, I'm making an objective declaration of fact about what Genesis one says. Now, you can go and verify if that says that, and you're like, no, Genesis one says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So now that's a that's an argument about objective facts, objective reality about what it says and what is there or what isn't there. That can, it should happen in a church, but we take it to mean, no, no, you, you, you preach it and you say that that's, well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, that's not, no, I I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. I disagree. Well, now we're going to fight over, you know, doctrine and over our interpretation. Now I'm saying that once you enter into the realm of this, I'm fighting for my interpretation, you're fighting for your interpretation. What it's easy, and and no matter how much we try to avoid this, it really now becomes an argument over my authority versus your authority, over my fallible interpretation versus your fallible interpretation. That is in the realm of of being subjective. It is easy to be objective. For example, I'll give you an example. When a pastor says, the Greek word means this. Like if someone said, the Greek word for baptism means to sprinkle. It means to barely make wet. It means to only dab water on the forehead. 
That's what the Greek word means. Now you can go and go, I think the Greek word maybe have a little, a little bit of a different meaning there, right? In other words, now that becomes objective. You can check to see whether that is so. If a pastor says, Augustine said that everyone goes to heaven, right? He preaches universalism. Okay, well, now we can go read and see what Augustine actually said and said, that's not true. That, see, that's the kind of thing I think Christians should check, which is a very objective, factual statement that can be verified, that can be checked. But what we've almost turned it into is that we just get to sit around and go, you're wrong. Why? Well, because my interpretation says you're wrong. Yeah, but their interpretation says you're wrong. So whose interpretation is right? That to me becomes subjective, not objective. Now, I think we have to figure out how do we deal with this kind of subjective discernment because it's problematic. But we have to realize sometimes that Christians just go to this verse going, I have the right to call into question the preaching. I have the right to, whoa, slow down. You have the right to check and verify if what's being said is so, if it's actually there factually. Now, once it comes down to, well, I think my interpretation is better than your interpretation, I think at that point, now a new level, uh, I think I think now we have to enter into a whole different realm. And I think what has to occur here is, wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're going to disagree with my interpretation, I should, I, if you're going to show any respect to the authority, you need to demonstrate that you have spent the appropriate amount of time of study, of research, that you've really dug into the issues. And then the, the, the pastor needs to be willing to spend the time to do the research and study the issues so that when you speak, when you both speak, both of you have studied the subject adequately, thoroughly, and I think in many cases, you have far less disagreement. But we've taken this thing about the Bereans and everybody just runs around acting like they're the, you know, they're going to, they're, I, I'm, hey, I'm just checking to see whether these things are so. No, what you're doing is you're running around disagreeing with anyone who doesn't agree with your interpretation because you believe your interpretation is infallible and their interpretation is fallible and yours happens to be infallibly right and there happens to be fallibly wrong. All right, let's continue. You're listening to Insight for Living. To study the Bible with Chuck Swindoll, be sure to download his Searching the Scriptures studies by going to insight.org studies. And now the message from Chuck titled, Don't Forget to Add a Cup of Discernment. So much of life is two-dimensional, and it seems to lack depth and color for many people. There was a period of time in my life where that was true, when the most important thing to me was simply the gaining of knowledge. There was nothing wrong with that in itself, but there was something terribly missing during that slice of my life. My interest was in getting a hold of biblical facts and gaining a knowledge of scriptural doctrines. I wanted to know what this book was all about, and I wanted to understand how it fit together into some kind of pattern or system of thought. And I fell into the teaching of a very persuasive and strong, powerful teacher whose stated goal was to communicate the doctrines of the Bible. And all who sat under his ministry, uh, he promised, would become grounded in the Word. And he succeeded in many, many lives. And for that period of time, I became, I suppose, looking back on that, sort of brainwashed. I received information, some of which I realize now was spurious, but I got a hold of truth, and that was stimulating to me because I was so blatantly ignorant of how the Scriptures fit together. And as time passed, I grew not only in knowledge but in pride my life, and I was at that time involved with the woman who was to be my wife, and even following our marriage, we continued to be involved in that style of teaching. 
And there was a growing cancer in our lives. There was a lack of compassion, it seemed. There was a lack of tolerance for people who would not agree with this system of thought. And interestingly, looking back on it, we both crawled in sort of an intellectual tunnel. People became less and less important. The lost weren't significant to us, certainly not to me. And while I was growing in my facts, I was diminishing in what I would call color, a third dimension of life. My joy seemed to be missing. And in fact, I became increasingly more rigid. And I'm not made to be rigid. I became more structured, and I am not that much of a structured person in my personality. Very little creativity flowed through my mind, and life became a series of grays and blacks and whites. No color, no beauty, no cushion, no room for people who happened to disagree. And the more I imbibed at that fountain, the less there was of love in me. I suppose I could say, looking back on it, that uh, what I gained was knowledge and what I lacked was discernment. I missed that which causes life to be tolerable. Now, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to go any further tonight, but I thought that's interesting. He gained knowledge. I'm going to write this down. Gained knowledge but lacked discernment. Gained knowledge, lacked discernment. Now, th- this is a, this is puts forth kind of an interesting dilemma, right? When it comes to discernment, is discernment based on knowledge? And how can you have knowledge and not discernment, because it seems to show that there can be a disconnect, that you can have all the knowledge in the world, but literally no discernment. So what is the connection between knowledge and discernment, and how is it possible that you can have said knowledge, but not have discernment? What is the correlation, what is the connection between knowledge and discernment? And have you ever experienced anything like that in your life? Now, now for him, he perceived, now obviously he made a judgment at some point, He made a, he came to, he used some form of discernment, I don't know on the basis of what, to say that this previous teacher obviously led him to a wrong understanding, a wrong understanding of Christianity that was detrimental, that was destructive, that led him to pride, arrogance, and a lack of love. And he obviously blames that teaching that he sat under, and obviously he's blaming that teacher. Now, he's not giving us any names, because I would love to get the name of the teacher so that we could go back and go, well, I could see why. Or if we went back and listened to that teacher, maybe we would be like, wait a minute, Swindoll, what are you talking about? That teacher didn't, he did no way could you have led to that conclusion because I think we would end up to, back to a very subjective thing, but he's not going to give us the information. So we just has to take his word for it, that the teaching was bad based off Swindoll's discernment. And that what Swindoll's conclusion was, I got knowledge, but I got no discernment. So I think that this puts forth a very important thesis. What is, or, 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 let me state it this way. A very important question. I, I state it this way. Or questions. I almost want to place it as a thesis, but I've already given you ours for right now. If we need to add some another thesis or another hypothesis to, to work on. But here is our, really our first challenge in your mind. Now, in this one, you don't have to look anything up. I just want you to try to process this. What do you, how do you see knowledge and discernment? Do you see them as working together? Do you see them in opposition? How do, how, how can you have knowledge and not discernment? And how much knowledge is required for discernment? What's the correlation? What is the connection? What is the disconnect between knowledge and discernment? Now, if, if you look up a definition of discernment, I'll at least just give us this. Um, discernment is the ability to obtain sharp perceptions or to judge well. So discernment is the ability to obtain sharp perceptions or to judge well. How do you do that without knowledge? 
that, that's that's where I'm a little bit baffled because I've always understood that discernment comes from knowledge, right? Like if I if you know n- absolutely nothing about classical music, you have no clue. You don't know what a symphony is versus a- a- anything. I mean, you don't know anything about the the pieces of music. You don't know the different uh, eras. Well, in classical the classical era versus the other eras, the Romantic era. We could go through all the different eras of classical music and 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 the structure and is it what's a movement and do you applaud after the first mover or you wait to the all the different things about classical music. If you don't have that knowledge, do you can you discern anything about it? I mean, if you have no knowledge about, say, film analysis, can you really discern everything that's happening in a film? Can you understand why the camera angle was this way and the lighting? And like, I, I to me, I don't understand how I can ever come to obtain the ability to have a sharp perception or to judge well. And, and again, discernment is the ability to judge well. How can I judge well without knowledge? Somehow he said, okay, um, okay, okay, good. Okay, someone just said, and I'm, I'm glad I'm glad that they are here to help if I just mess this up. He didn't say you couldn't have discernment without knowledge. I think he said you can have knowledge without discernment, which I think is different. Okay, that's a good, okay, that's a good point. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back this up just a little. I already wanted to be done, but I, I'm going to back this up just a little. So you can have you can have knowledge without discernment. I guess my thing is how can you have how does knowledge not just naturally lead to discernment? I guess that's what I'm confused by. Like, okay, I can have knowledge, but I may not have discernment. And I don't know how that's possible. To me, knowledge that the natural outcome of knowledge to me would be discernment. Let's back this up and see how, what, how he uh, said that last part. Let's, let's, let's go through. Here we go. The more I imbibed at that fountain, the less there was of love in me. I suppose I could say, looking back on it, that uh, what I gained was knowledge and what I lacked was discernment. I missed that which causes life to be tolerable. So he gained knowledge but he lacked discernment. So you you can have the knowledge, but you may not end up with discernment. I just don't, that's what I'm trying to process. I'm still trying to figure out then what's the connection between knowledge and discernment? If I can gain knowledge, but lack discernment, then what brings about the discernment? What leads to discernment has to be knowledge, right? So if I can, if I gain knowledge, how do I, with knowledge, not have the discernment? Could we say, is discernment the correct application of knowledge? So therefore you could have the knowledge, but not apply it. Therefore you lack discernment. I mean, I, I guess if I, if I gained all the knowledge in the world about classical music and you started playing it and asked me some questions, I, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I just, I, how does that work? It looks like just naturally I would be like, okay, now someone just says it depends if you see discernment as something you must exercise. I guess that's true. I guess I could have the knowledge and lack discernment because... I don't exercise it. But to me, I don't know how you wouldn't. I can't think of a situation. I mean, it just seems like the natural thing. You're sitting there, someone's talking. Maybe you're at a family gathering. All of a sudden you hear two people talking about, I don't care, whatever the subject is. And you just, you have all of this knowledge. I mean, I guess technically, but even if you don't exercise it, just you're thinking it, right? You're thinking, what are they talking about? That's not the way that works. That's, they're completely confused because, I mean, the knowledge just, I just don't see how discernment doesn't flow from it. I, I'm having a hard time here. I'm having a hard time here. And may, may, and, and hopefully this person will help me understand it because I, I, I am perplexed. I gain knowledge, but I lack discernment. 
I'm, I'm thinking if I gain knowledge, discernment will follow. It just, to me, it's just like the sun goes up, the sun goes down, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just like discernment, knowledge comes in, discernment becomes present because my ability to judge will be based off the knowledge that I possess. Now, I may choose not to exercise that discernment. I may choose to ignore all the knowledge, but that wouldn't mean I don't have the discernment. It would mean I'm just choosing not to exercise it. I mean, I, I could gain all the knowledge about how a car works. Um, oh, now that, okay. Oh, now that, that's a good point. He seemed to indicate that the knowledge he did receive was a false knowledge. Now that, if that's what he's saying, then you're onto something. False knowledge will not will lead to. I, I, I'm going to state it this way. I think all knowledge leads to discernment. Uh, this is the way I would state it. All knowledge leads to discernment. The quality of the discernment is dependent upon the quality of the knowledge. If I gain all the wrong knowledge about a car, I'm I'm going to have some discernment. I'm going to be making a discernment. I'm going to be making judgments about what's wrong with a car. It's just going to be a wrong discernment because it's wrong information. So I I I still think there's a correlation. I can't separate I can't say gain knowledge but lack discernment. I'm like gain knowledge either it's good right knowledge or wrong knowledge and that will determine if the discernment is right or wrong that's my that's my theory that's my theory i don't know i don't know interesting that we found ourselves here see this is what i love doing this stuff i love doing this stuff because see that's why i love listening to so many podcasts and so many sermons because i'm always confronted with something that I, if you would have asked me hey how do i get discernment i'd be like gain knowledge Hey, I need to learn discernment, gain knowledge. How do I discern uh, the Bible? Learn it. How do I discern theology? Learn it. <laughs> like I, I would just be, learn it. That would be my thing. Read, study. Like I, I wouldn't be like, discernment is like, you get the knowledge and now you have to find 15 skills. Discernment flows from it. Now, you have to maybe figure out how to use the discernment in the right way to use it or the wrong, or things that can hinder your discernment. But it's, it starts with the, I think the basic principle is whatever you hope to judge, you must become an expert of. If I'm going to judge the scriptures and, and, and uh, judge the scriptures, meaning they're right or they're wrong, or oh, I'm, I'm sorry, if I'm going to judge the preaching or teaching of the scriptures, then I must be an expert on the scriptures. If I'm going to judge theology, I must become some form of an expert on the theological issue in question. If I'm going to judge someone's use of a Greek word, I have to master the Greek to some level to make some kind of, or I have to at least have access to the information, but still I have to have knowledge. I don't know if I would have ever said, I gained the knowledge, but I lacked discernment. I don't know if those words would have ever came from, come from me. Gain knowledge, but lack discernment. Now, I have heard gain knowledge, lack wisdom. Because typically we define wisdom as the correct use of said knowledge. Now, are you saying I gained the knowledge, but I did not possess the ability to accurately use that knowledge? Then would that be a lack of discernment or be there a lack of wisdom? Or is wisdom and discernment synonymous? Oh, so many questions. But we'll stop right there. All right, to the person listening this evening, thank you so very much. I'm great. I'm very appreciative that you offering your thoughts and concepts because um, maybe I was going down the wrong path. I'm still, I'm still not convinced. Um, I'm still not convinced of, of where, where he's going. I guess I'm, I guess my struggle is I still, uh, there we go. I'm, I'm opening up the Spreaker app to make sure I'm not missing any comments. Um, I'm still not convinced 
or I'm still struggling with disconnecting knowledge and discernment. Like you can have the knowledge, but not the discernment. I, 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 I just think knowledge le- f- just automatically flows to some level of discernment. But I do agree if it's false knowledge. I do agree if it's false knowledge, it will lead to false discernment. The quality of the discernment is dependent upon the quality of the knowledge. As I always say with, with um, the Bible, the quality of your interpretation is dependent upon the quality of your observation. Bad observation, bad interpretation. Bad observation, bad interpretation will get you bad application. You can't interpret what you don't observe. How can you discern anything without the knowledge? So he 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 may not be saying that you can't have discern, that you can have discernment without knowledge, but he's clearly seemingly to say that you can have knowledge and not discernment. And that I still just don't. Just to me, the more knowledge I have something, the easier the ability I'm going to have to make a judgment. In fact, it just seems like it's natural. The more I know about something, boom. The minute I, I'm going to make a judgment. As, as much as I love music and love and listen and have studied music, as soon as I hear someone say something, I'll go, what? no, okay, that album came out in 1979, and no, that's not what the song is. No, that's not the interpretation of those lyrics. No, like just, it just, I'm going to start making judgments. So I, I'm, I struggle, but that's okay. I just wanted to advance this a little bit, and we've advanced it a whole. <laughs> we've made it. We've made it six minutes and twenty seconds in. This is going to be the longest review in history. All right. Okay. Until tomorrow. In the meantime, email me newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. I have a feeling there will be many opinions. And many judgments on what we've just discussed, meaning that people will be exercising discernment. So it will be interesting to see if their discernment is different than my discernment, and if any of us can discern exactly how we are to think about discernment and knowledge. How do they relate? How are they disconnected? That is your assignment. Go forth and figure that out and let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. Everyone have a wonderful night. God bless.